0: Song After Lesson, number 348, 348. If you could please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. That is where we're going to be reading and studying from this morning. I do want to say how thankful I am to have family here with us, and I'm getting used to it, and it's something great to get used to, to have family back around, and i um, very thankful for Jimmy and Roan for coming, and Brian and Olivia Hamilton, and my brother Paul and his wife Elena, that they get to be here. I'm encouraged, um, I'm also encouraged to see Brother uh, Thaddeus here with us. Uh, And I'm uh, always encouraged uh, when Mr. Glenn uh, does our class and we go through the storyline of the Bible. Um, I love it. It's it's very encouraging. Today we're going to talk about Jesus being king. So, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 9. Two weeks ago we looked at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And that is the beginning of Mark's gospel. And Mark shows that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ, it's not just his last name. He is Jesus the Messiah. It's a position of him. You know, He, he is the anointed one. He is the one that the Jews have been waiting for for a long time to come and deliver them. That's who Jesus is. And he, Mark says he's that at the beginning of the gospel in verse 1, he says, Jesus is the Christ. Mark says, Isaiah said it. Isaiah the prophet said, Jesus is the Christ. John the Baptist said it. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus Christ. And now we come to, to kind of the narrative portion, um, the beginning of uh, this This gospel. And we're going to see Jesus be baptized, we're going to see Jesus be tempted, and we're going to see Jesus gather his his coalition, his faction. He's going to gather his people together who are going to carry out this cause. So today I want to talk about Jesus being king and Jesus starting a revolution, because that is what's happening. A new king is coming. Let's read together. Mark chapter 1 verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. A voice came out of the heavens, you are my son in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out and out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted, by the del- being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. We're going to go to verse 20, 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. Preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they let their nets and followed him going on a little farther he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were also in the boat casting the nets immediately they were they called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him and so read the word so reads the word of god and let us pray before we begin Great God in heaven, again, we are so thankful that you have brought us together this morning. That we as a church are encouraged to sing songs to you, to take the supper, your son's body and um, blood together as we think of uh, what he has done for us. And as we read now Mark chapter 1 and we study from it, give me the strength, give me the remembrance uh, of the things that I've prepared to share with. Uh, The Christians here, and may we ever strive to keep Jesus our King and to realize that He is on His throne now and that He has all power. Open our eyes, Lord, and help us to see. And we pray this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, By studying this passage, I want us to realize that Jesus is king right now. It's not as if you can just say, um, I don't really believe in Christianity. It's not just the religion for me. It's like, well, we don't really care what you, what you think or not. Jesus is king. And it's not, some, it's not something subjective to where you can decide whether Jesus is your king or not. It's not like we can stand in America and say, do you believe that Trump's king? Uh, I don't think he is it doesn 't mean that you 're not uh, responsible that you don 't have obligations by him that Jesus is king right now, and that we 're going to see that by uh, his baptism we 're going to see that by his temptation and we 're going to see him begin to establish the kingdom um, when he gathers his people together and uh, it, it's a it 's a great story so First, as we look at Jesus starting this revolution, and that's really what we're talking about. It's a change in power. Um, Jesus is the Son of God, uh, and that means that he is the King. Let's read verse 9 to 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, immediately coming out of the water... He saw the heavens opening, and the spirit like a dove descending upon him, and a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased." So John has been baptizing people, he has been preaching a baptism of repentance. And Jesus comes on the scene now. John has been saying, hey, after me, someone's coming. And this person that's coming, he's, um, he's, he's, he's much stronger than I am. I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to step down and, and untie his sandals. Um, even using the idea of, of I, Isaiah, he says, it's, Isaiah said, in that passage, Isaiah is talking about the Lord is coming. The Lord himself is going to come. And now when we see it's actually Jesus coming, it's a human being from Nazareth, it kind of changes our understanding. Again, this gospel is about the identity of Jesus Christ. Who is, who is Jesus? Jesus is, is the Messiah. We also see that Jesus is God. And, and now he see here that he is the Son of God. And uh, when, when Jesus is baptized, and I'm not going to go into this subject too much, um, some people ask, you know, why is Jesus baptized? It's, it is a difficult question that we have to ask. It's kind of perplexing. Why, if, if baptism is for forgiveness, it, for the forgiveness of sins, if it, is, um, if, it is, uh, if it is done by someone else who is lower than yourself, like what, what, was, what did Jesus' baptism do for him if, if Jesus was sinless? It's interesting to note that Mark doesn't explain. He doesn't clarify this. He just says, Jesus was baptized. Um, It's Matthew, who I believe writes after Mark. Matthew's the one, okay, I have to explain this, you know. It's to fulfill all righteousness. But Mark just says, okay, Jesus was baptized. And then he gets to the action. He says, okay, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens, they ripped open and i'm using the word ripped open because that's really the word it's um we from the greek word we actually get the word in the english schism it's it's only a, it occurs two times in this gospel the word this ripping open it's here and when when uh when the uh veil is ripped open and another time of uh when the centurion says Certainly this was the Son of God. Then we have again Jesus' identity validated. Um so we had the spirit, you, we have the clouds, you know, rip open, and then we had this this dove like uh figure. It says he was descending as a dove. Some people think about was the the uh, manner of descension dove like dove ish, or did it appear in the form of a dove, what, you know. I think when we see pictures, we see like a little like dove come down. Um, I'm convinced that he's describing the dove. I think the spirit probably looked something like a dove, um, and I also think it descended like a dove. Uh, but anyways, we see this this spirit like figure come and descend upon Jesus, and we have this idea of anointing that Jesus is being anointed, and If we could uh, go to Isaiah 42. Please turn with me there. Um, Isaiah 42. And uh, I know we we discussed, we're going to read verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Again, this is the section where God is saying um, how he is going to reign again. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to reign Um, and he's describing how that that process is going to come about and he says behold my servant whom I uphold by chosen uh, my chosen one in whom my soul delights I put my spirit upon him he will bring forth justice to the nations so we have this idea in the Old Testament we read of The Spirit descending upon the Messiah. The Spirit descending upon the Anointed One. That's the one who is going to deliver the nation. And then we have Mark say it. We have the Old Testament say it in uh, Mark chapter uh, 1, verses 1 and 2. I mean, I'm sorry, 2 to 3 or 2 to 4. And we have John the Baptist. And now we see... Uh, Jesus come and be baptized. We see the Spirit come down and descend, which shows us His identity. And then what do we see? We see a voice from heaven. Now, uh, it just says a voice from heaven. So, is it the angel saying something? Or is it God? I think we know who it is, who's talking. Um, God says down from heaven, this is my Son. And... uh, and and him god is well pleased that jesus had jesus is the son and that means that he has power um you know uh i like uh i think we just talked about it i think yesterday when we were just talking maybe at the table um pretty much when jesus says he's exempt from paying taxes um you have the time in the Gospels where uh, someone's saying, hey, are you going to pay a poll tax? And Peter's like, yeah, we are. Okay, wait, you know, Jesus, are we going to pay the tax? He says, hey, Peter, tell me, um, Do this, are the sons, you know, uh, are they ob- obligated to pay uh, taxes if they are the, the king's son? No, no, he's exempt. But so that we don't bother them, I'll pay it. And Jesus, okay, Jesus has the authority. He, he is different than other people. He is not just a human being. But here we actually see that God calls him his son. Now, we all say that we are children of God, right? Um, I could say, in a way, that I am a son of God, right? Um, because God has adopted me but this is more of an exclusive claim that God himself is saying that he is his son. It's, when, it's like when Jesus says, my father, instead of our father. I think we, we are normally, we, we call God our father. It's a collective, you know, he is our father. But Jesus, in a way, he says singularly, like in, in a unique way, he's my father. Which I don't, I, I would never say. I mean, I don't think I would say that. Jesus is a particular kind of son. Um, and by the way, just ob- as observation, we kind of see the three persons of God here. We see Jesus be baptized. We see the Spirit descend. And we see um, the Father speak from from heaven. We see these, these three, uh, three beings um, here. Uh, he is validated. I... Um, so Jesus is the son and sons have a special relationship with their father where they have that authority. I, um, my dad, in Romania, we were putting up flyers at a piazza and a piazza is just like a, a garden place. It's like a um, farmers market. It's awesome. They have a lot of very cheap vegetables and fruits. Um, we were setting up an event and my dad's trying to set up this poster at the piazza and he's talking to the director and the director's just not budging he's pretty much saying you're gonna have to go to Bucharest and get these papers and he's like well we have all the documentation here and he's just sending my dad through this um, all these hoops and later on there's a kind of a younger man that comes and dad's not you know really sure who that is and then he starts talking to dad perhaps he uh, knew English better so he's talking to dad and the guy's like what and then he goes to this other guy and he's like, come on, you have to let him. And this man's a lot younger. And dad's like, what is this younger guy doing? You know, you know employees don't treat their employer like this. And he's like, what are you, this, this is a Bible event, you know, let him put this up. And then it clicks with dad. Oh, it's his son. <laughs> That's how he was able to just be so blunt with his father sons have a unique relationship with their father and they have a lot more authority. Um, Jesus is the son of God and Jesus is is the king. He has come down. He is the the representative of of God. He carries the nature of his father. Um, So Jesus is king and I, um, as we read this gospel, we will see Jesus' kingship come more to light, but we see it right here. Um, I do want to say as an application, when we read the Bible and we read the words of Jesus, we have to realize that he is king and that we read the Bible differently than we read anything else, I hope. The word of uh, I hope that I don't come off across wrong, but the Word of God is not necessarily to be studied; it's to be obeyed. You know, sometimes we might get together as a church and say, "Hey, let's memorize it. Let's uh, let's study it. Let's get in the Greek and let's conjugate some verbs and let's let's know all of the things." It's like, no, we. I mean, we can do that to better understand it, but we are created beings who stand under the Word of God and we, we receive it. We just, we listen to it. We have this childlike obedience. That's our posture as we approach the Word of God. Jesus is King. It completely changes how we read it. Yes, we can study it, but it is to be obeyed. God is to be obeyed rather than to be understood, and I hope that is coming across clearly. Okay, so Jesus is king, and I also want to say, um, Jesus proves his sonship by declaring war with Satan, and this is when the revolution begins. Let's read verse twelve and thirteen. Immediately the Spirit impelled him; he he threw him out. That's the Greek word ekballo. Um, Immediately the Spirit th- impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Jesus was submissive to the Spirit. Jesus submits himself to baptism, and then he goes through, and then he is thrown into the uh, the desert. Um, The wilderness, as the New American Standard Bible translates it. He is humiliated. Um, and he he humbles himself to the divine plan in a kind of a, a puppet-like way that's who Jesus is. He submits himself to his father and to the spirit. Um, he no longer grasps the right as creator but functions himself as a created being and for all of uh, and all of this for the creation. Um, Again, uh, when, we, when I keep on seeing the word desert in this passage, and we see it a lot in chapter, or verses one to eight. I think about Israel wandering in the wilderness. You think about that, and, and now we see 40 days that Jesus is gonna here succeed where Israel failed. And you're like, wow, like he's doing it. He is, he is being the first Adam. He's being Israel. He's being the son that God has always wanted. And he's succeeding. And he engages with Satan. And he he picks, he he fights with him and he, he succeeds. Um, he, he experiences humanity just like us. And I like in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. He's pretty much saying that Jesus being a human being, he can now be the high priest that we actually need because. He became man. Um, and you know, the duty of a priest uh, is actually to be a bridge in a way, to be a bridge builder. I forget, I know there's a, uh, a word play there. I think priest was actually, uh, I forget, but I think it actually means in Latin, bridge builder, something like that. The duty of a priest was to bridge the people and God. And uh, I know in the early church, and I forget who it was, um, I know Augustine said it, but I don't think he, s- he originated it. But he says that God became man so that man be- could become God. And it, he's not really saying it in a mystical way, but Jesus, by actually humbling himself and putting himself in our humanity, he can now empathize with us. When I'm dealing with difficulties, Jesus is there saying, Sam, I know what you're going through. You know, I was in the, the desert for 40 days, something that I've not done. I've not fasted for 40 days. And by the way, that is possible. I know a lot of people think that maybe this is something miraculous with Jesus. Um, there are people who fast today for 40 days. Um, there's actually a doctor, I believe, in uh, California, and he uh, he promotes this. And Anyways, uh, this is something, I mean, you have to be very careful, check IVs and stuff, but um, this happens. Jesus went through this fasting naturally. And we don't hear it in this in this gospel. We don't hear the three temptations, right? All we hear is he was tempted for 40 days. But we know that he, he was tempted to turn a stone into bread. And uh, he says, no, I'm going to be completely human. If Sam couldn't do it, if Julie couldn't do it, if Mr. Mr. Glenn couldn't do it, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be man. And now that we know that our God can empathize with us and that we can know that if, if there's ever a time to where we feel that we have to cave, okay, this is an itch that I have to scratch. No, 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 no. Jesus succeeded. Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians uh no temptation has overtaken you but such as common to man the lord is faithful he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're you are able he will he uh, he will always allow you a way of escape christ succeeded and he defeated the devil um, I... Uh, yeah and he's he's victorious here and the idea of a revolution I just learned this in my studies uh, we're going through Aristotle and Aristotle categorizes the three forms of government there's monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy and And there was actually a roman uh, uh, political analyst i don't know what to call him but anyways he looked at uh models of forms of government and he thought that these are the three forms of government and they all change you go from a monarchy to an aristocracy to a democracy and there's there's a revolution and a revolution is where there's a change in government there's a change in power so that's that's where we get the idea of revolution if if you um maybe you didn't know i thought that was kind of fascinating i thought revolution i didn't. Mean, I didn't even think through it, but there's this idea of it's when the government changes. Here, Jesus is starting revolution. The authority is changing. It's no longer going to be Jesus. I mean, it's no longer going to be the devil. Things are changing. And uh, we kind of are coming back around full circle, I think, because we hear, why does uh, Mark say he was with the beasts? It's like, whoa, was he just saying a fact of nature? Or maybe that is, is there maybe a, a nuance that G- Genesis is coming back? You know how Isaiah says, hey, in the day, the lion and the lamb are going to dwell together. And maybe you see Jesus here with these wild beasts, and there's some peace. Oh, the revolution's starting. Different. There's peace again. There's shalom. Peace is coming back. God in the Old Testament who always says, I will reign one day. Okay, we're getting to see that a little bit now. Jesus is coming to power. God is taking his authority back. There's a revolution happening. Um, So an application I want to say is uh, whatever you're going through in life, whatever difficulty you're going through and you're thinking... It's just, I I can't do it. Jesus can empathize with you. Jesus was tempted in every way that you are. But even more so, because if you give in to your temptation, that means that you didn't experience its full power, right? Jesus never gave in. He's experienced a lot more than I have because I've given in. Jesus has experienced it much more, so don't think that you just have to give in. You have a high priest. You have a God who's experienced temptation, temptation just like you. So have that encouragement. Jesus will help you. So Jesus is God. We see that. or Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King, uh, as we see in the baptism. And now we see that he is starting a revolution. He is no... He is... uh, yeah we're going to see here in a moment. He's bringing the kingdom. And now let's read verse fourteen and fifteen. and this is where the gospel is a revolution. It's a change in power. Verse fourteen and fifteen and this is paradigm this is paradigmatic. this is um this is a thesis to the rest or an, until chapter I think eight or nine. This is kind of a summary of chapter one to eight. He says, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's a summary of what Jesus is going to be doing through his Galilean ministry. So Jesus here, he's preaching the gospel and... Two weeks ago, I tried to explain kind of the idea of the gospel. Again, gospel is just not good news. It's just not, you know, um, hey, there's still some milk in the refrigerator. That's good news. You know, I can have my cereal. Or it's, it's nothing very, very just mundane or, or simple. It's There's a change in political power to my benefit. It's gospel. It's good news. It's euangelion. Um, That's how they used it, and they really used it in a political sense when a king would rise to power. Remember when we looked in the Old Testament, when the the Philistines killed Saul? To the Philistines, it was euangelion. It was good news. Um, Jesus is saying he's preaching the gospel, which we could call it victory. I think that's a good equivalent. Maybe not just good news is what gospel means, but it means victory. It's triumph. The good news, and that is the new kingdom, is coming, it's nearing, it's approaching, it's, it's here in a way. Um, so what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? What do you think the kingdom means? Um, I want to, I, I hope that we don't have too concrete of an idea of the kingdom. Uh, Growing up a little bit, I've heard that the kingdom is the church, Um, and I want to suggest a better way to think of it. The kingdom comes from the word uh, basileia in the Greek, but it's the idea of kingship, of reign, of power, more than it is of a structure, you know, you got your fortified walls. It's a kingdom as we think of it. Actually, the word kingdom, if you go up in the uh, Webster's dictionary, it'll actually say ki- uh, kingship. And it says that's the archaic term. And in the New King James, when they translated it, um, uh, Elizabethan uh, English, they thought of kingdom as kingship. It's not an established physical concrete idea. But it's it's a reign within people. Does that make sense? So the so the kingdom is the reign of reign of Jesus. So did the kingdom, and I, I want to I rather use the word reign because I think that that communicates the idea better. Did the did the reign of God come while Jesus was living? Yes. Yes, it did. That if Jesus is the King then the kingship, the reign, was present when Jesus is there. That it's near, but in a way it's there now. It's in Jesus. And this also has uh, some import on, um, on us. And when we talk about kingdom growth, I'm not sure if we use that term, kingdom growth. I know Julie and I, we, when we were in Romania, we were always, you know, thinking about we, we never really had a convert. We never had a long time study with someone. It was discouraging, and we were talking about working there and expanding the kingdom. And, and we kept on thinking that kingdom growth is going to be numerical. It's going to be something that we can see. That's not necessarily so. In a way, I, I am convinced that Julie and I both there was a lot of growth in us. The kingdom grew while we were in Romania, even though it was just in us. And that when we talk about, you know, some people think that, you know, Jesus' prayer, our kingdom come, or uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we can't pray that anymore because the kingdom, or the church has already come. I, I can see where someone would say that. Um, but I think that if we understand the kingdom as the reign of Christ, can we still pray in Ryanzi, in in Boonville, in Mississippi, Lord, let Your reign come. It can still come in me, and it can come in us, even if we don't see any numerical growth. The reign of the kingdom of God is within people. It's in the church. It actually started the church. That's the kingdom. It's the reign of God. Um, that's what the revolution is. It, it's His power. Um. So what is, that's the gospel. It's the reign of Christ. Now what is the message? A message demands a response. What's the response when you hear about the kingdom? What does Jesus say? He says, repent and believe. And that's the idea of repent. Stop, stop, you know, being an American. Not really, but stop giving your loyalty to some other group. Some other sense of value and where you gain your security from. Repent from that and redirect that towards God. Redirect that towards the reign of Jesus Christ. Redirect that towards Jesus. When we hear about the kingdom of God, we need to think. Um, when we think about the gospel and yeah the kingdom. Uh, we have to repent of any loyalties that we had before. If Jesus really is king, that we, we give up those loyalties and we follow Jesus. That's what it means. Repent and believe uh, in Jesus Christ as king. Again, people could say, hey, Sam, you know, I, I understand that you're a Christian. Um, I grew up Christian. It's just not really my thing. It's like, okay, well, Jesus is still king. It's not, it's not up to you. It's not like, oh, well, I don't believe in gravity today, so, oh, whoa, you know, here I go. <laughs> it's like, no, I mean, he's king. He's, it, it doesn't matter what you believe. He's king right now. And you may think that, oh, uh, you haven't seen it. You haven't seen him. One day you will, I, I believe. He's king right now. Repent and believe. Be a part of this revolution, because it started here. Yeah, turn away from any social or political agendas. Uh, And remember, at the time, this was driving Israel crazy. These Romans. (laughs) Get us away from these Romans. We want to be free. He says, No, you got to repent. The Messiah is way different than you thought. You thought you had a clear cut idea. Repent from those preconceived ideas of who you thought Jesus was. And I think that as we get through the Gospel of John, we're going to be rebuked. I hope we are. Just like the Pharisees were rebuked. We're going to be rebuked some because Jesus doesn't really come out to the person that maybe we thought he was. And we have to change and accept him on his terms. And the last thing is the, the revolution turn turns on Fishermen—it's a very unlikely group of people who produce this this change. When you think about a revolution, what do you think? You get those people on Wall Street. You gotta get your lobbyist out there, and we're gonna make things. You know, we're gonna we're gonna pound social media with with some viral ads, or I don't know. Um, no, this is very very odd. Who actually starts this revolution with Jesus? It's it's uh, Jesus creates a faction within. Judaism within the Roman government, and he really does... He, uh, he changes things within the next 20 years or 30 years. We were just reading in Acts 28 today. What's the last thing you read in Acts? The gospel is going out unhindered. You see these people, and we'll see time and time again, they messed up big time. Peter messed up big time. The disciples messed up. But you see at the end... That, that this group that Jesus is formulating now, in 30 years, they are preaching the gospel unhindered. And this, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. Agenda has a bad stigma with it. But Jesus is, is this agenda is going. This movement is traveling. Um, and it's, it's all by fishermen. It's by these people in Galilee. So let's read in verse 16 to 20. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they were also in the boat mending their the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Okay, we're we're starting just outside. We are in the outcast. These are the outsiders. We're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're just. Okay, Jerusalem's like the religious hub. Okay, Jesus isn't even starting there. You would think that God would choose that. Nope, he's up in Galilee. Is he in the synagogue first? Nope. He's walking beside the sea, and he sees these like probably really fit uh, uh, fishermen, and they probably didn't have the best education. They kind of talked with an accent. Uh I know, uh, remember when, when the girl at the end, she's, 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 she notices Peter because Peter talks. He talks like a Galilean. They, they know Peter's distinct. I mean, he, he probably doesn't talk in the most educated way. He, he, he's a Galilean. That's who, the gospel, that's who this starts with. There's no prerequisite. Jesus doesn't start with the elite. He starts with just fishermen. You don't have to have any prerequisite. You don't have to have any criteria. You don't have to be elite. Um, Jesus, the power is in Jesus, right? Who, who is going to make them become fishers of men? Jesus says, I will. I'll do it. How does he do it? I, I believe he does it with our participation. Um, that we participate as Jesus makes us become this through our learning of Jesus, through us following Him, through us looking at His example, He's going to make us fishers of men. And we need to follow Him. Um, Jesus will do this for us. and um, This also means that if we actually become fishers of men, that we're going to have to give up some things. And... uh, do you see in verse 20 when we're talking about Andrew uh we're talking about James and John he left his father and I want to say that to to become a to become a follower to be part of this revolution we might we're going to have to give up some family relations at times which is going to be the hardest thing perhaps that we ever do We might have to give up a job. They left the boat. And I don't know if that job was going to be promised if this whole thing with Jesus failed, you know. But they left their job. They left everything. What about the hired servants? Maybe they had some friends who they worked with. And it's hard to leave friends. And maybe these, you know, uh, these hired servants... Um, maybe by them leaving, it made their workload harder. Maybe they're just upset with you know why'd you guys go off and leave and follow that guy? Why don't you just stay home and and be a part of the community again? In the first century, it was all about community. You you gain your identity by being in the community. Jesus is of Nazareth. You you it, it explains so much about you of where you're from. It's it's your identity. They left it. They're going to create a new identity. They're going, to, they're going to be involved in this revolution. And they're going to follow this Jesus. And why did they leave? That's a question that I have that I don't have a good answer for. Um, I believe my dad thinks that they saw uh, previous miracles. Um, I haven't really studied it that much. Um, Mark doesn't say that. It, it leaves as readers it leaves us curious why did they leave i mean if someone says hey sam uh come here i'm like why <laughs> i'm not i'm not just going to go and i think that this has this is explaining a little bit about Jesus' authority that he's just a different kind of guy in the next section we're going to read about uh jesus teaching as he has authority, and people are saying, wow, he, he teaches not even as the scribes. He has some authority about him. There's something the way he is that people will follow him. He's somebody different. He's he's the son of God. He's the king. Um, but I just don't know. But I think in Mark's gospel, it's stressing that there there isn't any prerequisite. Don't think that you have to you don't have to understand who Jesus is. You don't have to understand the trend or the the Godhead. You don't have to understand um, how, in what way, baptism works. You don't have to understand um, all you know the, these little things in Christianity that later on you may learn to appreciate, that get complex. You don't have to know that. You can just be a fisherman, and when God, ca- when 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 Jesus calls you, you just start following him. Following after his lifestyle, and that's when it starts. Um, so the gospel is for all. There is no prerequisite. There's no seeing miracles, or there's no some um, mar- miraculous faith or anything. It's they just they just start following. Um, Jesus will make us become fishes of men. It may cost us to give up our family. May cause us to give up a job or perhaps friends. In conclusion, as we look at this, and we're um, about to sing Almost Persuaded, I believe. So you can open your Bible or uh, your songbooks. Jesus started a revolution. He was baptized, and at that moment, the Spirit came down. He really is the Son of God. And he carries the authority of his Father. Who he is demands our respect. We listen to him differently than we're going to listen to anyone else. Um, uh, Jesus is, he was tempted just uh, worse than we were, just like us. Whatever temptation you're going through, don't give up. Lean on Jesus Christ. He will make you become a fisher of men. Keep in there. And as we study this gospel, it's very encouraging to see the disciples mess up, for them to misunderstand, and for time and time again, Jesus is just like, what are you guys doing? Like, I've said this three times before. But you just realize that Jesus is willing to be patient with us. No temptation will overtake it, will never overtake us. God will allow that way of escape. That we must believe in the gospel, believe in Jesus as king, and repent of any other loyalty, and follow Jesus by his example. And that may require us to give up family, a job, or friends. And remember Jesus Christ, he gave up everything. He gave up heaven, he gave up who he was, he submits himself to humanity, he gets thrown around by the Holy Spirit. He's he he submits himself to like puppet like actions, and he just he's just extremely obedient. That's why we obey Jesus. It's because he gave us that example, and um, and we follow him as as our Savior. I hope that we are not almost persuaded. I hope that we are persuaded. And as we sing this song, I encourage you to think about yourself and in in how you think about Jesus. Is he your king? Do you study the Bible just to to critique it, to understand something cool and new? Or do you receive it as words from a king and you you, you read it to obey and you have the right posture? I hope that you are not just almost persuaded, but persuaded and... If you have any desire, whether you want to be baptized or if you want to have the church, and we would love to pray for you, uh, to encourage you. Please come forward and let your uh, desire be known as we stand and sing.